Mike Weed. If we move like a bot, can you just call me Rizzo? Got a mic. Tell me I'm the only Got one. Tell me I'm the only one, Joe. Joe, I'm the only Weed. one for you. But and if my, name, my name isn't Joe Buck. Experiences in Manhattan. For money. I'm walking in. Welcome to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast. Talking film, classic mm. film. I just thought of an idea for future episodes. The the little like improv things we do in the intro song should be clues for the next episode. Oh, mm-hmm. shit. and we don't tell it. Yeah, people oh, it's gonna okay. Be. They have to decipher the and code. Our, yeah, and uh, and if you can guess it and email in at webombmike at gmail dot com, we will give you like an unspoken thumbs up. Yeah, we we're not even gonna talk about it on the no, pod. No, no, not no. even a little. Um, so we're talking. I'm Ernest, an oldie. I am. Call me Rico, not Ratso Hunter. Mm. We we were discussing the similarities. Hey, yeah, do you think between that, Hunter and uh, Rico? Do you think that I'm like the Ratso of the podcast? Uh, you're. I think that I have a lot of Ratso tendencies. He's so snivelly. Yeah, it's like it's thing. like you're trying to trap Ernie into offending you. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, I guess. You're like, what? <laughs> like, I mean, well, Drew, you're clearly the Joe Buck. Yeah, I'm just a <laughs> I'm just a big dumb fucking idiot. Women love me. And Ernest, you are the cast. You're the broad in the penthouse. <laughs> well, I don't think I'm gonna go up to New York. They got them old ladies up there. That was I don't even know what that voice was. That he, was not his voice. It's hard to do. It's a very nasally southern voice. This that's why I was comparing him to Kenneth from I'm Thirty Joe Rock Buck. when watching it. A lot of similarities. Yeah, yeah. So he made it to uh, the big time it's, of pimping yourself out yeah. for NBC. It's an origin story. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't. I'm wondering. You keep saying that, and I don't know if you finished the movie. See what because, happens. Uh, what happens when you go to one city is you can then go back to another city I later. Don't think that's true. Jesus. Um. <laughs> so we're here talking Midnight Cowboy, folks, and we're talking Midnight Cowboy because a, it's 2020. We want to keep things fresh. We want to talk about more older films, and b. Colin Goody, friend of the pod, chose this as his uh, movie for the losers of the Fantasy Film League to yes. watch because he was the champion. Yeah. So he had mercy on us, and mm-hmm. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, um, my I night w- went a lot better say, last night than it would have. The first like maybe five minutes of the movie, I was like, "Wait a second, is this is this actually going to be good?" And then, you know, very quickly, I was like, okay, 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 this is, so, is going to be great. But I kind of doubted myself for the first, like, mini little chunk of the movie. I was like, oh, no, I, I can't believe I'm not going to think this is a masterpiece. Okay. I spoke, I, I thought too soon. Yeah, you thought way too soon. Because uh, this movie is a masterpiece. Before we talk about the movie itself, I did want to spend, like, a quick little 30 seconds about this movie and the importance of it. This is arguably the most important movie in the history of the Oscars. Well, you you should also say your little side project yes. you're doing. So I am, I've alluded to it before, but this year I've set a goal for myself that I'm going to watch every movie that's ever won Best Picture. Um, I have been going in order. So going from 1931's Grand Hotel to 1969's Midnight Cowboy was a big shift in tone. But this movie is... a 
change not only what the Oscars represented, but what film became in the 70s. We don't have the critical acclaim of movies like Taxi Driver or The Godfather without Midnight Cowboy. Um, The year before this one, 1968, uh, Oliver. Oliver? Oliver. Don't forget that exclamation point. Uh, Oliver won Best Picture. And then (laughs) exactly one year later... A movie that came out. It was this is a rated X film, mm-hmm. um, one best picture, sexy X, um, and it is very challenging. Not just from the plot basis, but in the filmmaking no, itself. Yeah, it is. It's art house. It's movie, extremely dark. This movie is f- over fifty years old, and it's insane. Like you watch this movie, and I feel like this kind of helped John Schlesinger kind of helped defined especially in some of the more dreamlike sequences what david lynch would go on to do with a lot of his career so this movie i think yeah, this movie is like is very lynch it really is like one of my favorite movies of all time i hadn't rewatched it in a couple of years because uh it's not the most fun rewatchable it's time very very dark it's one of the most bleak movies yeah. i've ever seen at, at times i mean t- speaking of toward these dream sequences at times truly terrifying yeah like really really effective like like uh, like quick flash uh, editing. Yeah, it it genuinely was like like unpleasant to watch in like a good way. It the the, so the dreamlike quality of it was my biggest takeaway. You know, and I I know we always kind of split this episode up into or these reviews up into spoilers and non spoilers, but I didn't know that going into this movie. But I think if you haven't checked this movie out and you think that it's you know a classic fair 60s average type of movie it is one of the most unique movies i've ever seen in my life it feels so uh kind of hypnotic and almost psychedelic to a certain point because it's so just uh creative with how it's put together how it's the shots are framed and even like uh, it's sequences where it's just people talking to each other do feel like there are in this more heightened dreamlike state and uh, speaking to the darkness of it the way New York is depicted it is filthy you ever feel grimy. like it's getting worse out there <laughs> <laughs> but I mean I think that part of what adds to that all is this whole unreliable narrator that we don't even necessarily realize is an unreliable narrator to begin with yeah, but when you exactly. reach this point Pretty early on in the movie where you realize that you can't trust anything that you're seeing mm-hmm. on the screen. He's imagining things. And it's making you re-que- like recontextualize the movie as you are watching it. To like, Are we just going to like flash back into reality at some point to how gross and depressing this world is? But yeah, yeah I... So the the um, movie, the script for the movie is based on a novel that came out mm-hmm. four years earlier with the same name. Um, I was looking it up because I was very interested because this is such a like film movie. Like this is a very visually oriented movie. It shows the story. Yeah, so I, there's not a lot of telling. Exactly. Uh, and a lot of that goes to John Schlesinger, the director who did win Best Director at the Oscars for this, very deservedly. Yeah. Um, but the script was uh adapted by Waldo Salt, <laughs> which is. If you go back to like the '60s, like everyone just had a name like that. I feel like <laughs> I was gonna you know? say you got a lot of takes on Waldo Salt. No, just uh, everyone career. just everyone just had that. T- well, he did write Serpico, which is a great movie, um, and that he wrote that I think, four years <laughs> later. But 
the primary difference between uh, the novel and the movie is the amount of time spent in Texas. Um, in this movie, we start in Texas, um, and he essentially already has decided to leave, and then he leaves Texas. And the information we receive about him and his uh, insanely fucked up past uh, comes through these either like you know like daydream like flashbacks or dreams themselves uh and and it's very economic with how it does that in the beginning and that's why i was kind of saying that it kind of took me a little bit aback at the beginning because of how kind of briskly paced it is and how um to the point some of these scenes are and there's even moments where the camera is like just really up against the faces of some of these actors mm -hmm. and there's even a moment that he has on the bus with a fellow passenger and the movie is trying to kind of set up these very uh diligent expositional dominoes yeah but those I, conversations are supposed to tell you this guy's off yeah there's something off about john Voight. And by I, the way this is a very young unrecognizable john Voight yeah. in the lead role. well okay and i was gonna say like it's kind of interesting this maybe as a time capsule because it shows john Voight as like this kind of like a-list celebrity like leading man john Voight that we just don't know like younger generations don't know and this movie kind of redefined dustin hoffman's career because two years earlier than this movie is the graduate yeah oh, which is an all-time like impactful movie yeah and then, i mean right. from that and then two years later to have the shift to now dustin hoffman now it's he proved like oh he can play literally any role that's why dustin hoffman is one of my all-time yeah, favorite I mean, actors yeah he, he's iconic he's very uh funny in this movie um he's also just fucking piercing the you can tell in the edit that like he is stealing scenes even though uh john Voight is doing mm -hmm. a great job so many times the camera is just staying straight on hoffman because his face is so expressive mm -hmm. um and that that is leads into the primary difference, which and the book takes place half of it is in Texas before he goes to New York, um, and then also, uh, Dustin Hoffman's character Ratso is more he's not a tertiary character, but he's not like the you know like the second in command. He's not like the uh, uh, co-star you know if there is one in the film and that's a brilliant move and it wasn't just done because they got Hoffman or whatever that was a script choice that like he's it's not just coming of age and figuring this weird guy out he's going to New York and it's going to be a super bizarre buddy movie that is also like deeply dark and like paints a portrait of this locale and paints a portrait of these deeply fucked up men and how trauma is affecting them yeah um it's just it's it's a brilliant brilliant choice uh, I'm. I don't want to say that the novel is bad, but I've read a lot of different sources saying that like the movie made a better choice than the novel did because the novel, the whole time in the novel, he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to New York," and then halfway through, he finally goes. You know? Yeah. I I'm interested to read the novel. I always wanted to kind of check it out just to see the differences because I am such a big fan of this movie. The soundtrack, the song that mm -hmm. plays, it is this very sing song. Yeah. Uh, almost like upbeat, happy type of yeah, it's song. like a happy cowboy song, and it's so geniusly juxtaposed with the in, darkness, yeah, and like of where poverty the story stricken goes. New York, like yeah. they, because the, the another big mechanism in the movie that's not in the book is a lot of the movie is about Ratso and uh, what's or yeah, Joe Buck just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. They are so 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 mm -hmm. broke. That's what I was gonna say about this movie is that um, 
like for a movie that's this bleak, it actually was like a financial success. Like the budget was only three point two million, and it made forty four point eight. There you go. For an X rated movie that is the, this dour and bleak. Did the Best Picture win maybe give it that bump? I'm not. Well, this movie was released in May. It was okay. a summer release. Yeah, but there's a good... Sh- I mean, back but then, how many movies even existed? You know, they could have just kept it in this theaters. This isn't the 1920s I know, where but they're like, ah, we got to take a trip to the city. You can see the big picture show. <laughs> but it, it did used to be that, like, if a movie was doing shit like that, you would just put I it mean, back it in the theaters. I mean, it might have gotten re-released. Yeah, yeah definitely. Because um, even, like, Parasite dealt with a exactly. little bit of that. Yeah. And I, I think the, the best picture conversation is key here because this movie, when you're watching it, it does feel like the culmination of the 60s you know the drugs and the the trippiness and also the the buildup of counterculture and anxiety the sexuality yeah it it does feel like the culmination of an entire decade of change and it, it movies take so long to get made that of course, this doesn't happen during the peak of that, during the heyday yeah, of that, but it comes the, at the end. Yeah, because the subject matter, the book, was mid-60s. Exactly. Like, yeah, this is taking place really in, like, the core of the 60s. Yeah. And 69, like, the release of this movie is just, you know, this is the year that is known as the end of the old Hollywood. That's mm-hmm. what this movie signifies. Yeah, that's it, what it is. It is the ushering of the new Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean about this movie, about how it forever changed what the film industry would become, especially in the years after that. Some of our favorite movies ever that were released in the 70s would yeah. not, either they wouldn't have happened or they wouldn't have ever been seen by anyone without a movie like this breaking through. And I think that that that's it, what, and because this movie is aged amazingly like it is so still very watchable aside from the homophobia which is a factor of this movie a lot of f slurs going around uh for my boy rico ratso yeah well it's more that's that's that's, more of a product of the time especially new york yeah and that's also this is a horrible character so that's not an an issue as much to me as the kind of the implication that homosexuality can is a result of trauma that's more of like a modern uh, issue that you could find yeah. with the movie, uh, but the movie is not. It, a, is that is that what's going on? Well, there there is no the, sequence well, there, in the the yeah. like uh, whenever um, Joe like, Buck is trying to like give his body around, and then like at the very towards the beginning of the movie, he has an encounter with a Christian uh, savior person oh, who's right. <laughs> trying to tell him that okay. his traumas can be absolved by Jesus. The overacting award of the millennium that is that guy so, he is wow. so good i love that scene he because so there's insane. so much tension especially the first time that you watch that scene you're like is this guy gonna fucking rape joe buck right now like this tiny dude what's gonna happen in this scene right now literally anything could happen i i will say if i if i had to pick nits i i think the the dreamlike quality does backfire in certain moments um where i was a little lost in the what was actually going yeah, on yeah. in the plot because I was so kind of like taken by the style of the movie. I was so kind of enamored with how the movie looked and how it felt and how it sounded that I my brain wasn't fully attached to like the machinations of the plot. And the plot isn't really that complicated. It's no. just a guy trying to get paid for 
sex yeah. in New York. He goes to New York I, to, so he can try to fuck old ladies. Yeah, because he like he heard on the radio that that's where old la- old rich yeah. ladies are. But I what, there were a couple moments where I was a little confused. I was like, I, why? Why are we in a spoiler he... section, or do you want to wait to talk about the specifics? I guess so I guess I am waiting one. waiting in the spoilers okay. here. But I I do think this movie is like phenomenal. I think it is masterful, incredible, so visionary and ahead of its time. I was so in love with the way it looked, the way it felt, the 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 style of it. There's certain shots where the way they incorporate like the foreground and the background and the framing is just so genius. Like there's one shot in particular when Joe is talking in a phone booth and the camera like pans up and you can see the reflection of the uh the city on the phone booth itself reflecting on top of joe old old new york is it's aged so nicely and at the same time i never want if like francis ha is a movie that makes me want to buy a one-way ticket to new york uh this is a movie that makes me never want to step foot in new york city ever again (laughs) i can't how does that movie make you want to go to new york francis ha makes me just want to live as like a bro- just super broke and live in New York City. <laughs> Everyone in that movie just sucks shit. Hey, <laughs> they're just awful. Love people. my guy Joe Ma- Joel Maisel. Oh, yeah. I, well, they're no, they're great. I, that's actors. who they're I just, want to be. It's it's about how everyone there is just unbearable <laughs> to be around. I think Adam Driver invented hipster in that movie. <laughs> like he he caused that word to become a thing, and why you certainly did. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so before we get into spoilers, I did want to play a little message from our boy Colin that he left us at We Bought a Mic yeah. uh, on Anchor, anchor.fm slash We Bought a Mic. Yeah. You can use the Anchor app to record a message and, and send it to us, and we'll play it on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what Colin has to yeah, say. Because Colin chose this movie because it's one of his all time favorite movies, if not his all time favorite. Yeah. Um, so here's what, what Colin has to say. Wa-bam. Wa-bam a fucking Rooney, we bought a mic. Thanks for watching Midnight Cowboy, based on my recommendation for winning the Fantasy Film League of 2019. Midnight Cowboy, in, in, in my opinion, is easily in my top ten, maybe top five. Honestly, it might be number one for my favorite film of all time. Uh, just John Voight, Dustin Hoffman, give career best performances in my opinion uh, and i can't wait to hear you guys talk about it so bam later fuckers <laughs> a right. little vitriol there from i Mr. man Goody. a little x-rated anchor <laughs> recording right there um, I think that we should introduce all of our uh, podcasts now with like a fading in. Bam! It's better than what we fucking do now. <laughs> no, I don't know about that. So no, thanks for your message, Colin. Um, I I get why this is one of Colin's. Like you said, there this is a precursor to filmmakers like Lynch, and also at the same time, it's a precursor to the essential 70s canon like yeah. it's a precursor to like coppola the, scorsese yeah movies that are a lot more like in the modern lexicon and for whatever reason this movie isn't so much me and colin were actually just talking about that because i think movies like this like being there um even well, even movies like one floor of the cuckoo's nest which has that definitely has more presence than the other two but they need more because they hold up immaculately i think but i think that part of the problem is versus like a movie like Goodfellas, for example, that movie is still fun. 
even though it is like showing kind of the same like dark underbelly of society. Yeah, yeah. That movie is fun. This movie isn't fun. I mean, I love this movie deeply. I think certain parts of it are. Sir, I think that, I mean, I personally like find scene. it enjoyable to watch, but I could see why a lot of people are very turned off yeah. by the central premise of this well, movie. Well, also, the bigger issue is that of all, all the movies I just mentioned, and there are a lot more that I can include in this list of movies that need more attention, the reason that they do is they need more attention from like filmy people because they have what you would call now an yeah. indie feel. Yeah. Uh, that used to just be experimental. Um, yeah, it used to just be a movie. Well, and also just the the um, small scope of the story. You know, you'd be hard pressed mm-hmm. to find a big budget movie with a small story. Yeah. Um. So it, it is. I mean, there is like not a giant demo for indie movies, but I I think even among the film people crowd, these movies deserve more discussion because yeah. this movie uh, knocked my socks off. It's from '69. It's 51 years old. I know. Yeah. That's unfucking believable. So I think now is a good time to transition to spoilers. So if you haven't seen it, it is on Amazon Prime right now. Or you could buy that fresh Criterion with oh, the, it is the restored yeah, the restored audio and Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Really well done uh, restoration. So final yeah, chance. It looks spoilers. like doo doo on Amazon Prime is what I'm saying. Really? No I, way. I've never watched it on Amazon Prime. Um, I, mean, I started sure... to boot up Amazon Prime and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I have the criterion right <laughs> Pop here. Pop that blue in. Boy. Oh, I watched it on Amazon. It's free. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So free. final chance spoilers now. So biggest spoiler, obviously. This is, I think, the ending? No, no, no. I was thinking about the best uh, for like, uh, you know, like duo movies, like buddy style movies. The best combo of voices, mm. I mean, this is up there. Women love me, man. His his nasally southern voice. That's none, like none of us can do a good. Well, no, because it's like it's pretty high pitched. Like, he, ta- it, he talks it's a little more, bit like this, but it's yeah. it's it's got more of a draw to it. <laughs> it's I'm telling you, it's very similar to Kenneth from Thirty Rock. Like that's that was my immediate thought when he started yeah. talking. I was like, oh my god, that's Kenneth. Anyway, that. And then the most Italian voice you've ever fucking heard in your life saying things that are the most Italian things. But like, it's like, it's not, it's not Godfather Italian. Like, it's not classy Italian. It's like very much like street Italian. Yeah, it's like a, a, because he's a fucking rat. Like, they both speak in like broken English at certain points. And Hoffman's performance I want to talk about because it's a performance that, and the same goes a little bit for Voight. You, in, in a vacuum, you might have the urge to call it overdone uh just because he's really going at it at certain points but it's absolutely not overdone at all he is so so perfect in this movie he's over the top just absolutely fucking bonkers italian well i mean when you think about like so for the oscars this year they were both nominated for best actor they easily, very easily yeah, could have run Hoffman in supporting, and he would have won. Co-leads? Yeah, but they had co-leads oh. because it was a big push because They're- Hoffman gives such, like, he's on screen for much less than Void, but he owns the screen time that he is anything in. anything for Graduate? Uh, I don't believe so. Because I know he did for Rain Man. Yeah, quick. he won Rain Man. Um, well, so that, yeah, that's truly bizarre because he is the supporting actor of the movie like he's the definitive supporting guy 
there's no one else in the whole yeah, film. Yeah, there's a point where he disappears from the movie, yeah. and you don't know if he's going to exactly. come back. Every, every other character is in two scenes maximum. No, he actually, so he wasn't even nominated for the, or uh, he was nominated for The Graduate, um, but he didn't actually he won win for an Lenny. Oscar. He didn't win an Oscar until 1979 for Kramer. And then in 88, he won another one for Rain Man. Oh, I guess he didn't. He he's didn't been nominated two, four, seven times. Yeah. For he's, best actor. he's so, so, so good. All in a leading role, too, not even supporting. He should have uh, He should have gotten supporting. I wonder for this. if that was. I almost wonder if that was a. Thing? Yeah, if that was a, an agent thing that yeah. he's like, well, he yeah, has doesn't to be, go for support. I mean, on the poster, it's. Dustin Hoffman, John Voight, or John Voight, Dustin. Like, they are well, co-leads. Vo- yeah, Voight. Sold. I mean, Hoffman was a bigger guy than Voight was. Voight didn't Voight have... Voight was a breakout star because yeah, of this movie. he didn't have... Yeah, Voight didn't have that wide of a window, honestly, as, like, a full leading man. He's, like, extended his career incredibly. Um, and then he gave birth to Angelina Jolie. Uh, and then he And became, now he's a Trumper. And then he became a Republican. <laughs> so his money is definitely yeah. there. You either die a gigolo cowboy or you live long <laughs> enough to see yourself elect Donald Trump for president. I bet Hoffman is into uh, Buttigieg, I'd say. No way. He's rich, a Bloomberg. Rich liberals are into Mayor Pete. Yeah. I'll tell you that. Well, I have bad news for him about Mayor Pete's uh, candidacy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he could go for B- VP. He's incredible. Uh, Voight is so good. I think because of the fact that he does look like a knockoff A-lister. Mm-hmm. He that that's the whole thing. He got this role because he didn't look like Harrison yeah. Ford because he looked like John Voight. He doesn't look like an inevitable like you know people. If you just look at him, you're not like oh so hot. Well, he also it's not like that. He has the thing about him where. He was the hottest guy in town in this small town in Texas. Yeah. Women love And now me. he's going to New York City where he literally sees like a dozen other cowboy wannabes. But unfortunately yeah. for him, he realizes that they are outside of the yeah. gay theater. I, I love that part of the movie because it speaks directly to that notion of him not being quite, you know, perfectly conventionally yeah he, uh, well he's like relatively skinny especially yeah. by back then some standards. of those other guys are uh, like better looking well than also him. i would did want to say great makeup by them because they gradually look more and more like shit throughout this movie <laughs> yeah like they especially especially hoffman Gr- but even rico, john voight like rico all looks time like one of the sweatiest performances of all time <laughs> by hoffman but voight uh also like when he says like oh he's like you know the best guy in that town it's also kind of not true because he is uh through through all of his flashbacks we can get to like the truly traumatic ones but he is definitely bullied in general so, by these like stronger men so i mean that this all the is, time this yeah. is the best version of the unreliable narrator and the dream sequences is going back to his past because of course we're first introduced uh to this woman crazy Anne, through like a thing where it's just like oh this is like a first love kind of a thing and slowly as the movie goes on, you really have to question, like, were they together? And then, like, he watched her get raped by a bunch of other dudes. Yeah, some sort of gangbangs. Yeah. Scenario. Well, he also got sodomized. Yeah. That's so fucking crazy. See, these are and some of the before things. Before that, I mean, there's also the whole thing where, like, he, it's kind of alluded to that, like, he was molested by his grandmother. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's why he has a thing for older women. So this, yeah. this is one of the things that I'm that I was talking about. Me being a little bit confused. You know, I, I was trying to keep track of all these plot details, and a lot of times you don't know 
whether what you're seeing is completely supposed to be factual or accurate. And I wasn't sure if I missed something or if it was the movie trying to be ambiguous. So there were some moments where I, I was just kind of like wondering if I had if I had missed something because there is sort of this like dream-like quality to the flashbacks and uh, and the storytelling. I I like that because I think that it leaves you kind of to draw your own conclusions based on what it is. Yeah. Like the alternative to that is that we have a moment when uh when Rizzo is dying and uh <laughs> Joe sits him down and is just like, "Yeah, I remember whenever I was sodomized as a boy and I watched my love of my life." Like it could go on like that. And I like that it's more like it's more shown and not told what's going on and then you can kind of put the pieces yeah, together yourself. It, it becomes yeah, it becomes pretty legible by the end of it. Are we supposed to know what illness he has or is it just like the illness? Back then you just like got sick and died. <laughs> That I much mean, is today, today too. Hoffman. Yeah. yeah, Hoffman. <laughs> Back in the day, he had, you the, just dude, he had COVID nineteen. Yeah, <laughs> he did the screening. God and damn. He... I mean, that's what I was thinking about when I was watching. I was like, "Shit, that's gonna be me in Columbia next week <laughs> on the fucking bus ride." No, nowhere. it was just because he was also uh, crippled by yeah. some sort of accident. Yeah. Well, I mean, both of them have because I feel like Joe Buck even has like something wrong with him. Yeah, like, no, there's, he has. There's I like, mean, he has a lot of mental trauma that yeah. he's just fully ignoring because partially because yeah. he's stupid. I mean, I you don't just that decide they... that you're gonna go be a prostitute. <laughs> yeah, it's not a thing that normal yeah, people do. Specifically for older ladies, because I didn't. I don't know if there was a moment where he like it was definitely implied that he got like molested by his grandma, but. He was very close to her and raised very directly by her, and now he's going to go fuck old ladies. Yeah, like that is that's not like a question of what's going on. You yeah. know, that is a that is an issue. But that is it's done tastefully, as tastefully as something like that could be done, because it's not just like let's show some dark shit. Let's have a really dark character, and this this is how he breaks bad. Yeah, it's like no, that's. Let's show a, a kind of layered, intricate portrait well, yeah. of somebody who and also has gone through some trauma and some the, shit. And the uh, the you know the implication that is definitely explored that you know his his possible homosexuality is a result of all of the trauma. Yeah. Uh, as it turns out, I didn't end the movie thinking that he was gay. I ended the movie thinking that he had very specific fetishes as a result of trauma, including older women, and also with the younger woman, including pain. You know what yeah. was one of yeah, being no, that's another, And that's what him. I was going to yeah. say was that it leads you to kind of he even needs... question what came first, like a chicken and the egg sort of situation between the trauma and like whatever is going on with him mentally, if like that was something that he... People are just born with like weird kind of kink things like that that well, also aren't just, related to trauma directly, but it, also like the trauma could have been induced by something like. And that. it's it's also just it's one of my favorite uh, insane things to think about when you think about like older people because you would say that a guy about John Voight's age, he was probably born in like 1940, right? So. Every single person's life back then would give every single person a lot of trauma by today's standards. Every life was an absolute fucking train wreck. Like there was there was no one that got through childhood totally unscathed from like brutal trauma because of just the way that things worked. Mm. Uh, Greatest generation, baby. Yeah, exactly. And yet you would put a mask on and you would like, you know, you would almost try to 
convert that into an advantage for yourself like Joe Buck is doing yeah. uh, without even knowing it himself because he is a dumb character. He's I mean, there not is smart. a moment, there is a moment, I think, just towards the end where he brings himself to pursue sex with a man as like a last resort sort of thing. Like, oh, this is where you're at, Joe. This is what you got to do. You got to do it, man. But there's got to be something deeper in his psyche telling him that he wants to do it it's not that he has to he's been brought to a moment to do it there is got to be something in him that there is some sort of desire and the reason why i arrived at that take is because there's a shot in the movie where he's looking at himself in the mirror and it's very obviously framed on either side a picture of paul newman looking hunky Hmm. and on the other side a woman with her uh Mm -hmm. tits out so right on either side of him you have male desire and female desire and you have in the center joe buck signifying what could easily be bisexuality yeah i also think that an important thing of that scene in particular that you were talking about with the uh the man towards the end of the movie um is whenever you uh, juxtapose that scene with the first scene that he has in a homosexual encounter where he's trying to get paid for his services and everything, where the kid has no money because he's like just a child who just wanted to like suck dick or something like yeah. that. That's what it's implied that's happening here. Um, and the guy with the he could have, yeah, the he could have stole yeah. his watch and he's just like, here, just take it, just get out of here or whatever. And like later on the scene, like he is. So desperate to get money, one, to help support his friend, Rico, like the only person that he has in his life who he can trust, that he's willing to do anything for that money to the point where, like, he probably kills this guy to, like, get the money from him. You guys think he killed him? I think he probably killed him. The So scenes like this happen a lot in movies where someone wails on someone for minutes and minutes, and a lot of the time in movies they don't die, and I feel like... A, a larger percent of the time they would die I mean, from if that. you if to you just leave them there without yeah, telling exactly, anybody. Yeah. You're unloading on someone and no one knows. And they are going to be knocked out for a long yeah. time. Yeah, they'll probably that dude probably bled out. Like he probably like had one last big hit on him, saw that there was a pool of blood and was like, I'm gonna fucking take your money and go. Yeah. I don't wanna I don't wanna I'm be fucking here going to for Florida. What, I would I don't want to be here for what happens next. I did want to get, because we were talking about the dream sequences earlier, I don't want to go away from it. What did you guys think of the hippie, uh, druggy dance party That might be sequence? my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. It's so good. It, it, yeah, it's it's awesome. so ahead of its time. It like, encapsulates it. like the feeling of being on psychedelics so well, and there's even a moment where like it goes south. And you mm-hmm. start to feel like the bad trip coming on, yeah. Uh, and the fact that they take like the handheld camera and start taking that camera around the party, and they show you that footage. Yeah. Why are you stealing so salami? <laughs> well, it's free. You don't have to steal it. And also, just the entire vibe of what's going on. Again, it's a time and place thing. It's a type of party that just doesn't yeah. quite exist like that anymore. Right? People there who are like, I don't know why I'm here. Yeah, they I don't. don't know where they don't I know am. each other. <laughs> They took a, you know, they, they took a Polaroid t- of him and then invited him to the party. <laughs> like, it's absolutely I nuts. wish that that would just happen, that somebody would just walk into my office at work and just take a picture of me and just hand me a flyer. And that's, Here. I mean, that's Schlesinger shit because he's a very arty guy. Th- that was like super art house to me. The the inclusion of the actual film footage of people so just good. fucking tripping out of their minds. 
Uh, and doing a really good job of acting it as yeah. well. Shout and out then, to John Voight. John Voight is chiefing on that, whatever yeah. that is. Oh, that, I don't think that's just weed. That was a good little a... comedy scene, you know, where he, he it gets passed to him and then he's like, oh, cool, it's mine now. Because yeah, and somebody tries to, to reach for me and he's just like, get your own. Hey, boy. <laughs> And then you get the little moment with the woman he later on sleeps with, and they're like touching each other and like <laughs> rubbing each other in the red light. And the movie kind of so, stops. It is for it, that. You moment. know what? I think we gotta give out. We gotta break out the stamp because that was uh, trademarked. Honestly, visually stunning. Yeah, yeah, it was, it, and not just the look of it. I think the performances too were pretty stunning as well. Yeah. They they do a really good job. At just kind of capturing the intimacy of that moment and what it must be like to be tripping out of your mind <laughs> and just kind of connecting with somebody at a party like that. And then they proceed to go um, back to her apartment to uh, copulate. Is her and, name Shirley in the movie? Yeah, Brenda Vaccaro. Yeah. And I want to talk about the sex scenes in this movie because that's one of the big reasons why it's rated X because you get a lot of tits, you get a lot of butt, mm -hmm. a lot of like overt sex, you know? Yeah. And, and this time, you know, 60s, you never, it was always the the implication of sex. It was always like, oh, we're, we're going to tease you and then we're going to cut away. We're going to leave you hanging just a bit. I don't think it was, you know, like The Graduate was like a really risky movie because it was so heavy with its implications yeah. of sexual and uh, promiscuity and adultery and all these things. But in this movie, you like you see it. It's not hardcore, but they're fucking. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, uh, I did want to quickly say about Brenda Vaccaro because uh, she was a big actress in like the 60s, 70s, 80s and stuff. Actually, makes a cameo in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as uh, as Al Pacino's wife, Mary <laughs> Alice Schwartz. Oh, great. She is fucking um, awesome. Oh, Quentin, She's so man. good. Yeah, he know he's a big fan God. of yeah. Cowboy. Because there, there are some um, like very smaller performances that to me feel like theater people like mm -hmm. doing a movie. Yeah. She, uh, if she maybe had one more scene, she could have gotten a Best Supporting Actress nom. Uh, in my book, she you know, so she she's unbelievably good. Well, and the way that she like dominates the scenes with John Voight in a purposeful way, but like it yeah. like he becomes the sub in those scenes in a way that yeah. you don't expect a big, tall, strong yeah. cowboy to look in a movie. Well yeah. when when she enters the movie, you feel a turn, right? Because before that, um before she comes into the story, it's kind of him interacting with a lot of people. It's it's the story of him just like going from from crazy character to crazy character. And there is that first lady that he sleeps with that has the really intense emotional reaction to <laughs> him asking for money. And then when when we get her, when we get uh, Shirley, I found it a really good turn in the movie where it, it was like a moment of, oh, maybe Joe will be okay. Maybe he will be a successful prostitute in Manhattan. Maybe things will be all right for old Joe. You know, because she she doesn't seem to be upset. She doesn't mm -hmm. seem to be out to yeah, get no, him. She, she no. had a good time she's with fine. it. She was also, good. the scene where she's setting him up with someone else and yeah. he's putting soap in his boot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like perfume. Yeah, awesome. perfume in there. It's, it's so funny, um, man. No, that's all great. I also love that relationship because throughout this movie, it's just people finding ways to manipulate Joe Buck. Um, 
from the moment that he steps yeah, foot in he, New York City. Yeah, like, yeah. Cass is just, he gets there for her to pay him for sex. He ends up paying her for sex. <laughs> That's so funny. Of course, so everything with Rizzo, funny. like, about him uh, <laughs> trying to manipulate him towards the beginning of the movie. And even, like, he's... Ratso is still, like, trying to use him as, like, a manager. Like, he is trying to profit off of his gains. Because otherwise, he's just, like, stealing shit to survive. Yeah, yeah. Well, in He's, a, like, and, trying to come with But this is the first moment where, like, he's manipulated in a way that Joe Buck, like, likes. Like, and that's where you kind of start to realize, like, oh, maybe that's why people keep using him is because he's somebody who, like, he kind of likes to be the doormat. Well, it's just, it's more that he he wants, like, the way I saw that Paul Newman portrait for example is that's what he wants to be and that's what he sees himself as like he's like yeah no I, I look the part that's just what I am but he's so so vulnerable yeah like incredibly vulnerable and dumb <laughs> and um Hoffman is pretty sharp but he is crippled like he, he's sick and he's crippled and that's why they make this incredible you know this incredible buddy like dynamic friendship relationship um another question that it seems like is raised a lot of the time in the discourse is are they like gay for each other i didn't think so at no. all like not even a little um, I, I mean i guess you maybe you could make that no, argument they, well, but I, there's just no sexual anything between them it's all just they care for each other yeah. and if you think that that's gay then you need to rethink <laughs> how you think about sexuality yeah well i'd also yeah, you know that's a good point yeah i don't think that they have anything because i mean we've kind of alluded to it but the sexuality not the the sex itself is very much on the surface but the sexuality is very under the skin like the actual intimacy aspect of it feels if not completely absent, it is very buried deep down. I think that's why, like, whenever you talk about the themes of, like, homosexuality and stuff, like, none of that is ever explored. You don't, like, see a dick going into an ass in this movie. It's all implied. Yeah. Like, and I think that that's what the way that a lot of, not the sex itself, but the actual sexuality but is I, just all under the surface. I think maybe, I mean, I I am by no means an, a sex expert, or anything like that you but did major in sex okay. sexology yeah well there is that but i think that this movie is not it's not gay it's bisexual i think that's what it is it's like a man who still is very into women and wanting to have sex with women and obviously is super into it and loves it but there's this other part of him pulling towards something a little bit more in this time uh, promiscuous and taboo, mm -hmm. which is an attraction to men. And, you know, you could obviously say that the Paul Newman poster is just what he wants to be in and, and his admiration for it, but there is always that underlying to tone of the admiration also doubling as attraction. Yeah, I mean, that that goes for, time. yeah, I mean, that's that's a thing that happens today where, like, you know, you, you think of, like, gym guys now, where it's, like, all they do is admire men's physique. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't want to... Well, no, <laughs> but, I mean, do you think that it could be, like, less sexuality and more a desire to be dominated by something else? Exactly. Like, that, that's, that's what it is? Like, that's I think how that, I took it. I think that it's less about, like, Even with the Rico he is gay, character. like, that he likes to be taken advantage of. Yeah. Whether that be from yeah. another man paying him to take advantage or of him his grandmother. or 
from a grandmother aspect or just a woman actually taking charge and like scratching at him and stuff in bed. Yeah. Like I think that, <laughs> that that's was, I think that that's more where I landed on the Yeah, movie. exactly. Like that's what he needed from a young woman. And but then the old woman he had no issue with. You know right. what I mean? Uh that that was what tipped it off to me basically that he is someone who is unable to process trauma because he is not intelligent. Um, and therefore just has to uh, live through experience to figure out what's going on with yeah. him. And, and, to, um, and to characterize him as someone who is going to define his entire life by sex, like that's what he just wants to do. Yeah. He, he He's a dishwasher, and then he's like, you know what? I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to New York, and I'm just going to fuck. That's what I'm going to do. And uh, as far as Dustin Hoffman's character goes... Uh, there was more of a an implication there, even in my opinion, because of again, I the edit favored Hoffman and in, in their scenes together, um, and that the result of that is like sometimes you're getting you're getting vibes of almost a gaze at yeah. uh, Joe Buck, yeah. But again, it comes to that question of like maybe this is just what Hoffman wishes he were is like a physically fit man yeah. yeah. because he that's all he needs. Yeah. He's trying to be a he hustler and he has a limp and he's sick as shit. And then shit. he can't walk. Yeah. Well, I mean, and so that's why their relationship begins to mirror uh, what can be seen as a traditional male-female relationship because Joe Buck is the physically dominant one uh, and then Justin Hoffman is the mentally dominant one. I mean, I think getting, men be stupid. I think getting <laughs> to that point, I think the best example of that uh, argument is in the scene when uh they get the number from like the the for the hotel just for women, like trying to have sex or whatever. And it's not Joe seeing himself sleeping with the woman. It is Ratso yeah, seeing yeah. Joe sleeping with oh, the woman. Oh, that's a great And him like, seeing and himself just getting money and like yeah. having attention. <laughs> exactly. exactly. You know? Like, it is seeing himself as, like, having this admiration. He's this gross, smelly cripple. Yeah. Like, he's never going to be able to make money in that way. Yeah, but he, he had the, the one thing that really uh, struck me from that whole montage, which was, by the way, incredible. So good. I loved every second of it. Um, and a lot of people, I've also read like Think and Thought back in the day that it was misplaced because it is so funny. No, it's but perfect. My there's God. a lot of humor yeah. in this. Yeah, there is funny. there's a lot of humor. Yeah. I mean, there, think about the moment whenever uh, Joe first sees Ratso again, like sitting in the diner. At first, they both have a moment of like, "Oh, hey!" Yeah. And then yeah. Joe like remembers like, what oh! happened. Oh, another. Give me my money. I think the fun, the hardest I laughed in the movie is when they're at like the trippy party. And Joe Buck is really <laughs> fucked up. And he has like the funny glasses on, but it's a pretty normal pair of glasses. And he's like, hey, guess who I am? And then he takes them off. He's like, it's me. <laughs> so good. My, my favorite, my favorite so funny. moment of, of humor was, um, I think, the first sex scene with the first woman he sleeps with. Mm. And he's like bumping his ass on the TV remote. Oh, and yeah. then. It, it, you zoom into the TV and it's like just random cutting between channels, but it's like rhythmic with his ass just like hitting the remote. Yeah. And then it like speeds up and it gets to the point where you can't decipher what you're seeing and there's some demonic shit for like yeah. a split second. And then you're in the next scene. I That is a great scene. You know what is actually the most heartbreaking scene for me, aside from the very end, which we haven't talked about yet, but... It is the moment right after that montage where they go to the hotel where they're so desperate for money and Joe has to sell his radio. Oh, I don't know. Man. Every bo- yeah, every radio. time I see that movie, like 
that part breaks my heart more than anything else because that's the one thing that he has that he's taken yeah. with him for so long. It's yeah. like, this is my thing. I got my hand, I got my radio with well, me. And that's, that's all I need. Uh, like that whole theme of like the fact that they are down to their last cent and have to sacrifice who they are and sacrifice what they Give do. Give it all up for five bucks. Uh, that is a big difference between the book and the movie. In the book, they actually have a little more success uh, with their operation. Like, uh, <laughs> He's not just like fully sick. Like uh, Hoffman is actually the Hoffman character is actually like you know working him. He's making yeah. him into a gigolo. Um, although Joe is still getting most of the money, and so at the end when Joe decides to go to Miami, it's more of a sacrifice for Joe specifically. Yeah. Um, because he's given up on the yeah, whole point of exactly why he even went there. But the fact that they don't do that me, like makes it so a huge theme of this is just like the fucking evils of living in this America. Like, yeah. <laughs> like just, just the absolute shoot up and spit yeah, out the nightmare of having no choice but to make money however you can. Yeah. So if we're uh, getting to the end, uh, I have my biggest nitpick of the movie. Um, and that is that uh, it's not just in this movie. It's in pretty much every movie. That it's like uh, people think that once you pass that Georgia Florida border, as soon as you drive you in, die. you're just in Miami. <laughs> oh, like yeah. there's just palm trees everywhere. As three people who grew up in uh, you're based, Tallahassee, yeah, you're in, in North Georgia Florida. for another like three, four hours of that drive. <laughs> <You're> in, get <laughs> yeah. like south of Orlando, and then you'll start you, seeing maybe some like island where. To that to that point, I I did really like the tiny little bit of rural Texas that we saw at the beginning because he. He takes a, a bus to, to New York, right? Mm-hmm. So he's looking out the window on his way out there, and you see just, like, shacks, like, rural-ass bumfuck America. And take it from me, I've driven across the entire United States. Most of it is flat nothingness. Mm-hmm. But to see that juxtaposed with where the bulk of the movie takes place in New York City, it's like, damn, like... You know, this movie set 50, 60 years ago, um, but that's still kind of how it is. It's even in the way that it, the cinematography itself works in that scenes because it's him from a bus looking down at the shacks. It's all looking downward like I am above you. And then whenever he gets to New York, everything is facing up. Like this is yeah. optimism. This is what the future is. Like just in the way that the camera is set up itself. It's, like, it's shows... why New York is cinematic. Yeah. Because you have to shoot upward to hit a skyscraper yeah. with the camera. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like uh, Also... Speaking toward that time and place thing, when they get to Florida, the houses, this house could just be in the movie because we like we're in like a row of houses right now. There's so many just gorgeous houses built in the 50s and 60s, -hmm. like in Orlando. And again, with the reflections that I was mentioning earlier, you know, the final shot is from outside the bus looking in and you see the reflection of all these houses going past as uh, uh, our guy is uh, sitting next to a dead body. I. So I really love this scene. I think that it's like it adds to the tragedy of this movie that he finally he made it to Florida. He's able to like look out and see Joe just like got him a new set of clothes because he has pissed himself in the bus and everything else. And they're still able to like kind of derive some humor out of that moment. But at the end of the day, he just dies on the bus. And And, like they just just have to keep driving. But they just have to keep driving. Like yeah. it's like, oh yeah. Yeah, the driver's can't. like, all right, can, you want to close his eyes? Close I don't know. His eyes. We'll <laughs> be there in a few minutes. There's a bunch of old ladies who see this young 
young buck and they, one of them starts putting on makeup. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, lady. Do we think, what do you think that, what was Joe's future like? Let's chart out the next 10 in years Florida, in Miami. He probably tries to be a gigolo again in Miami. Well, he says that he's going to find himself a nice job. Do you yeah. think he becomes like a. You're right. Yeah. You think he gets really into beach volleyball? No. What is a he becomes like a like probably like um I don't know like a swimming instructor maybe he, he does probably he, doesn't does even know he try to swim. out for the dolphins <laughs> does he try he's like I got the physique of a tight end it's I could a, hop out it's there it's a Forrest Gump situation yeah. where he just like stumbles <laughs> he into is on it. that level of his dumb he's a dumb fuck he's like are black people on the NFL yet do I have a shot um, <laughs> you you definitely have a shot buddy. um. I think that he works at the like the '60s equivalent of like Chico's, like an old okay, uh, like an old right. lady clothing store, where like he can really charm him into buying shit. Yeah. I feel like he would move up very quickly there. You oh, know? you're right. That's bringing in some of your own salesman experience. Bug- Is that why you're doing so well at your undisclosed? Because I like charm high school girls. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You're like a charming high school email. We're gonna girls. need to clip that out. <laughs> <laughs> and take it out of context and put it on the Twitter. Okay, and just cool. Have cool. Drew Any really good. I, I did school. one time. I had a group of girls come in, and they were like definitely younger. And I was just like, we we're just like doing bits, like goofing around while they were shopping. And then I was checking them out, and I was talking to you know the yeah, one you girl were checking kept, them out. No, oh, shut God. the fuck. Shut the. F- <laughs> okay, now you do it. Now you have to clip it. I'm gonna get fired. They know about my pod. I won't tell them the name of it though. Um. But yeah, then the, we were we we're at the register, and one of them was kept talking to me, and then the other was like, "Oh my God, Sarah, stop flirting with the Vans guy!" And I, I was like, "I gotta go." Like this is this just became illegal. You saw like yeah. a, you saw like a mall cop like twisting his baton outside yeah. of your store, like, like I ready thought, to take yeah, you down. Yeah, I was just goofing off, and now you're making yeah. me a pedophile. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the background, it's like everybody's talking about, about me. me. <laughs> If Drew comes into the podcast one day, it's just like, we're like, Drew, we got a long line of podcasts that we need to record. And you're like, I just came by to get my check from Anchor and I'm I'm getting out of town. I'm going to New York where they got all the big podcasts. Yeah, Grab a podcast with, apron. I go with like one dollar and I can really just take a bus like down the street and get out my anchor money. All right. Yeah. What, else, what me, else do we got here? Meanwhile, I'm limping around. <laughs> then I can't walk. No, and we then s- I just piss good. myself and die. Chris, you're good. You're in a penthouse right now in <laughs> in Orlando. I'm the one who's over here just yeah. like <laughs> trying to scheme people on the streets. Yeah, Ernie is the old lady. I'm okay. fucking. <laughs> I, yeah, and I'm really upset that you yeah. dared ask me yeah. for money. Exactly. You're like, oh. You're like, is is five okay for the tab ten? Hey, oh, oh you're just gonna take that twenty? I don't know how old that old lady actually was, but hey, she's she can still she get, can get it. it. She can get it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like she wasn't that old. She didn't look that old. I'm not. What? No, I'm not gonna. Lee, I'm not gonna. Lee's, Lee's I'm not gonna comment on that boy. She was pretty fine. She wasn't like past fifty. She was in her forties. That's the thing. Well, back then when you were in even like thirty nine, you were like more than halfway done <laughs> with your life. Yeah, you were pretty fucking old. <laughs> That's the thing. Is like. Um, I almost called him Roscoe. <laughs> Roscoe, Rico dying in the fucking <laughs> bus, like that's normal. They're like, oh yeah, that happened last week. Yeah, the bus driver's <laughs> like, ah fuck. He's close like, his just eyes. close Another his eyes. One. I can't deal with it. It's all good, folks. We're almost every, be there. Every fucking bus I drive down yeah. from New York, we <laughs> we we only got nine hours to Miami. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what if they're just in like South Carolina? <laughs> We're almost there. 
There's like palm trees and something. They maybe they are. They're just like driving through Myrtle Beach. <laughs> like fuck. Uh all right. Well, the only other thing I wanted to say is that the only thing you need to survive is sunshine and coconut milk. Hey. So you remember that, listeners. The, the moment in the montage where he's doing his coconut milk recipe yeah. thing, and then just there were like 100 people surrounding him, and then they all like swarm the buffet. Oh, that's so in, good. In Hoffman's what a vision. Shot. Yeah. For one yeah, shot. Yeah, he's just like, by, he's just like mm, yes, 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 and points yeah. down. And it's also in fast reason. motion. I mean, this is really, really ahead of its time, everybody. Like, I really recommend watching it. It's dark. It's fucked up. It's. It, I don't know if I could call it like fully, like flawless, like I would for like my all-time favorites, like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It could get there on. I'll re-watch. have to see it again. Exactly. I, yeah. It is really That's good. The thing. This is, I think, the third time that I've seen this movie, and it is. It does like. Yeah, get it's incredible. It did give me that Especially, feeling of like being so layered that I was missing things because of how much depth i mean we've talked we've talked about how like the kind of the way that this movie will like lead you in different paths and watching it from the beginning and knowing like what is going to happen and knowing the beats of the movie really does add to the layering of the movie itself i i thought of one last thing i wanted to say the the apartment the the condemned apartment that they're in that i think symbolizes my point about this being the 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 movie that sort of sums up the 60s but also signifies the new hollywood well yeah because the 60s you... in reality are the 70s in film exactly yeah. exactly yeah, yeah yeah because when you think about like the movies that won best picture before this movie before midnight cowboy you would never in a million years see a set like this apartment exactly not even close no it'd be massive. and then to immediately go to that, to this gross, filthy, just infested place, it is that signifier. So it's funny that you said that because I, you know, I'm doing my rewatch right now, and I've noticed that it's a thing that's happened in the 30s, like right during the heart of the Great Depression. People didn't want to go to the theater to see grit and grime; they wanted to see the Pizzazz. they wanted to see the fabulous life. Yeah. Like I just watched the movie Grand Hotel, which was quite good movie. But it's all, like, it's a world that doesn't exist. It's, like, billionaires that all just go and, like, live in this hotel in Berlin together, a bunch of Americans and stuff, that people want to spend time in that world. And that's a theme in movies that lasted until the 70s, really, like, with a few exceptions. It's also still today. Yeah, I mean, people still just want to see, like, the glitz and glamour of it all. The average moviegoer does not want to go see their life on the screen. Right. No matter how accurate or interesting it is. That's why Yeah, they want to go see something big and like better than their life that's i and i also i wanted to close this and also talking about that's why it's a movie like parasite is such a cool movie to win because it shows the glitz and glamour and it shows the literal underbelly to it all like like what is living under the surface like beyond be underneath yeah so i i think in closing i i think what i want to do um at least once a month maybe twice is do a classic review. I really think we should do that. And if we can line that up with your best picture 
watch through Hunter that I, you're doing? Most of these movies he's at, like the next thirty years of yeah. Hunter's thing, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't no, want to touch. I'm, I'm, There's, we could do a Gone with the Wind review. We could watch that together because it's Hunter, like four hours long. You don't gotta watch these movies. I, you Just know what? Skip ahead. I'm already halfway through the '30s, boy. I'm not stopping now. I'm uh, almost to like where it gets good. Just watch good movies. Hey, yeah. there's, I will say, uh, if we can use this uh, uh, moment, uh, one other great movie. If you're gonna watch a classic movie, watch All Quiet on the Western Front from 1930. Incredible, incredible war movie. Shows like PTSD and Phantom Limbs before those things even had names. Oh, wow. mm. um, really good. See, so good cinema no, it's back fine. then. Well, another funny thing about uh, Midnight Cowboy is one of the biggest things, like something I wrote down is like, this is like the Kuleshov experiments, the movie mm -hmm. where obviously that those that had been done decades before this movie where Kuleshov figured out that like if you put an image of someone next to an image of whatever they're looking at, the the audience can draw their own conclusions. And and movies have been using that for decades, but to use it to this extent where he has a completely blank look on his face, like it tells you zero about how he's feeling, and then it's cutting to the most like horrific trauma you could possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, incredible. Like yeah. that that is taking a theory to its extreme in a really effective way. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at the best picture winners list and I'm just going to throw out a couple out there that um, I would say are in the running for us to do more classic reviews. Uh, Hitchcock's Rebecca. Um, Casablanca. Um, On the Waterfront. Yeah. The Apartment. Another Hitchcock. Uh, Crash. I'll watch. I'll watch some fucking Hitchcock. Green Hitchcock Book. is incredible. Um, Chicago. Wait, is the apartment Hitchcock? No, that's Billy no, Wilder. Yeah, that's not. Um, West Side Story, Lawrence of Arabia. No, um, I think our next My Fair Lady. Our next classic Best Picture winner should be Argo that we reviewed. <laughs> <laughs> the artist. Yeah, the artist is actually you know from. The I'm 30s. actually looking at my list of movies ranked. I realized I didn't even put Argo on here because I just forgot about that movie ever existing. Yeah. So Look, the right the sixties are pretty fucking good. You got the apartment, West Side, Lawrence. Um, my Fair Lady, The Sound of Music, mm -hmm. In the Heat of the Night. There's there's some good ones. So. I mean, there there there's a few. I mean, 1939 is like a historically like really well, great year for the Oscar because I mean, Gone with the Wind beat Wizard of Oz, right? And um, a couple other great movies. Um, we also don't have to Mr. just watch Best Picture winners. We can right. Watch, we can watch like. Uh, like gold, no. Goldman movies. Or no, whatever. you have to just go ahead and cross kill two birds with one stone to help me out here. <laughs> All right. Well, that about does it for this episode. Thank you, Colin, for uh, sponsoring this week's episode of We Bought a Mic with your pick of Midnight Cowboy. Your your winner of the first ever fantasy film league, and what a good pick it was. Thank you, Colin. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I was gonna make you guys watch the Broadway melody. Yeah, I mean, I got I got second. I definitely was gonna make us watch something bad. Yeah, like it's not even a question. Yeah, probably like, um, I don't know, whatever Max Landis is up to now. Oh hell no, no, I do not, I do not fuck. We're with talking that guy. like fun bad. Yeah, that fucking yeah, good bad. Fuck him forever. He's done. Yeah, I, yeah, we don't need to even acknowledge him again. Uh, Bright was enough. Wait, we didn't. Did you put him on the director's draft? Oh, no. <laughs> Shit. I, 
Wait, let me update my list real quick. Maybe he's oh, number yeah. one. Maybe he's he'll going direct, to tier uh, one. He'll probably direct some other like YouTube video that where he's just surrounded by models, yeah. like his WWE videos. You know, oh, that, that's Christ. what he's gonna do. I what a shock that he's problematic. You know, right. <laughs> wow, you never would have guessed what that weaselly looking guy that pays women to surround him. Yeah, strange. Well. Thank you for listening. Max Landis, Landis <laughs> enemy of the podcast. Please uh, listen to our director draft episode and stay tuned for what's to come. We got Mulan. We got A Quiet Place. That is if I make it back from my vacation. Yeah, we might is, have to just record like just me and Drew on like a phone call and I upload may be shitty audio because you might not country. be able to come back. Uh, so, yeah, keep an eye out on that coronavirus. Wash your hands. Disinfect your hey, surfaces. Um, here's a hot take. How about we shouldn't have to tell people to wash their hands? Yeah. How about that? How about just like fucking wash your hands after you go to the bathroom? What are you fucking Guys? Howie Mandel over here? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Keep Germex in your pocket. Hey, I wash my hands before I touch my dick. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You're like, I don't you're, wash it afterwards. I want that dick stank. On you're like Michael Shannon mm. in uh, The Shape of Water when he's like, there's only what? two kinds of people. Those who wash their hands before they go to the bathroom and those who wash their hands after. Yeah. Also, my dick is the size of that little you bit were, of finger that he I can't believe off. that you were able to just quote <laughs> Shape of Water right now. That actually just. Yeah. Best picture winner. Yeah, I, I got to rewatch <laughs> it, man. I can't wait. It's a good movie. I have the Blu-ray. Come on. It's a, it's a I, fucking GDT movie. It's. It's. He might be GDT's okay, worst movie. We're getting into in the in the director draft yeah, territory you're right. here, so you're we're right. gonna wrap it up. Listen to the episode. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Letterboxd. Send us a message with your thoughts on Midnight Cowboy at Anchor.fm/slash We Bought a Mic, and we'll see you next time. Only the echoes of my People stop and stare I can't see their faces Only the shadows of their eyes I'm going where the sun keeps shining Through the pouring rain Going well the weather suits my clothes Banking off of the northeast winds, sailing on summer breeze, and skipping over the ocean like a stone. Wah, wah.